0: Well, good morning. Thank you, everybody, for joining me on this punch, pinch, last day of the month. It's the end of the march as we know it, and I feel fine. Hope you're doing well. A few items of business. First of all, thank you to Dana. Thank you to Brett for stepping in and uh, doing the Sunday show. Uh, We really, really appreciate that. It was just great. So thanks, everyone, who called in. And uh, a couple of corrections. So uh, I did a debate with Tom Wilkots, and um, uh, he and I talked about common law, and a law student uh, posted on the free domain Radio board. It um, said that, uh, now, I, I checked out my definition of this with um, the great libertarian lawyer, uh, Stephen uh, Kinsella, when I was down in Nagadoches. I went for a speech there mostly because it's great fun when you say, well, you're going somewhere, and people say, bless you. And uh, he said that I was actually, um, you know, pretty correct in my definition of it, but there's obviously a law student who's currently going through this stuff. He said both descriptions of the common law were on shaky ground. Uh, In a nutshell, the the conversation spoke of the common law when the conversation should have been about a common law. So common law in general terms describes, as Steph rightly argues, a a tradition of law that has its roots in legitimated and decentralized adjudicators. Just think of a network of courts as the mechanism of common law. Subsequently developing through time, just like any other cultural tradition, these courts must reflect, more or less, any given community's evolving desires for legal practice, if they stray too far from precedent. If they become judicially active or tyrannical, they risk losing legitimacy or profitability. Thus, evolving morals and legal norms retain stability in a common law. Unlike a modern Western bureaucratic administrative-slash-legislative state, common law is at the beckoning of the people, rather than at the whim of faceless DMV personnel. The common law, on the other hand, is a real historical institution, not a theory. Well, I think, just to butt in, they're both real historical institutions. Uh, it's just one is, uh, one is like talking about uh, the, the free market, and the other one is like talking about the U.S. market. I mean, anyway, as Mr. Wilcots correctly notes, in Britain, uh, Britain and her former colonies tended to follow the precedents of old English common law until their legislatures changed course. So, although Steph spoke of the robust theory of a decentralized common law, he called it the common law, thereby allowing Mr. Wilcutts to feign ignorance and conflate the two. Mr. Wilcutts either knew better, my own speculation, or he has a poor grasp of very basic legal theory and history. Uh, So, he says, for this reason, the libertarian community should quit calling common law the common law and cease insinuating the existence of a golden age of law. We must be aware that the common law is a government program, just like central bank currency or state schools. To be sure, it is difficult to imagine a free society without some variant of common law. It simply will not do to imply its past existence. So you can go to freedomainradio board, board.freedomainradio.com. Do a search for more of this, including the uh, including the references. Uh, but uh, I appreciate that correction. And uh, I will stop saying a uh, and start saying the. Uh, as in, uh, it was not a debate I won. It was the debate I won. But anyway, I <laughs> just wanted to mention that. And in the um, incompetence at evil, you know, the only thing that limits the destruction of the state is their incompetence at everything, including evil. So I did this show recently on the uh, Cyprus bank thefts, the direct ones, not the indirect ones through inflation. So Russian oligarchs had about $31 billion or maybe more invested in these Cyprus banks, which was going to be force-fisted donated to the EU. And so they as you know, probably went through a bunch of different plans, and I think they settled on taking 40% of people who had more than 100,000 euros. Now, why didn't Russia go nuts? I mean, they've got billions, billions of dollars in Cyprus banks, and Cyprus was just going to steal it. Russia, if I remember rightly, uh, a little bit larger, a little bit better armed, and a little bit more trigger happy. Well, so it turned out that, uh, although it's true that as an individual, you had to line up for hours after your credit card transactions were canceled to try and get a few hundred euros out of a wheezing and coughing ATM. Uh, What happened is you could transfer money out of Cyprus from these two banks electronically. Uh, It is just insane. (laughs) So, I mean, uh, so the, um, uh, the, the British branches of the Cyprus banks remained open. Electronic transfers were perfectly... Possible. So if you had an overseas bank account, in other words, if you were exactly the kind of people that this was supposed to target, you could get your money out, no problem, which is one of the reasons why Russia has not gone completely insane. So from uh, from Reuters, it says, while ordinary Cypriots queued at ATM machines to withdraw a few hundred euros as credit card transactions stopped, other depositors used an array of techniques to access their money. No one knows exactly how much money has left Cyprus's banks or where it has gone. The two banks at the center of the crisis, Cyprus Popular Bank, also known as Leakey, and Bank of Cyprus, have units in London which remained open throughout the week, placing no limits on withdrawals. Bank of Cyprus also owns 80% of Russia's Uniestrum Bank, which put no restrictions on withdrawals in Russia. Russians were among bank's largest depositors. It is really, really quite mad. And so they're not even good. At, I mean, this is like it's like Keystone Cops. It, it it is like the Three Stooges. This supposed bank theft, where they basically, uh, you know, w- were trying to go through the petty cash drawer while leaving the safe deposit boxes wide open to a growing crowd of vultures. It really is quite mad. And so I just wanted to point out that, uh, of course, the people in Cyprus should be completely enraged. I mean. Everybody imagines that someone else is going to pay, but it's always those people who are the most productive in society who generally end up paying. I mean, if you're big enough to target, but so small that you can't find alternatives to having your money stolen, you're the one who's going to end up paying the bulk. Uh, so it really is just mad. I mean, you, you, you might as well set this kind of stuff to 1920s, as Ayn Rand called it, tiddly music, because it really is that mad. So, um, let's see. Uh, oh, yes. Oh, so. Oh, yeah. So, I did a really good podcast, but I'm going to be uh, greedy, and I'm going to hold it off for donators today. It's the end of the month. So, if you uh, throw a, a donation towards freedominradio.com, uh, fdrurl.com forward slash donate, it's called The Fascists That Surround You, Part 7, The Cure, and it is my concentrated straight steroid shot to the brain cure for evil. And um, so if you'd like to get an advanced copy of that, hit me with a few um, piñatas of money and some money sticks, um, Cyprus dollars to be accepted in the future. And uh, I'll be happy to send that to you. And thanks again so much, of course, to everyone who helps keep this show broadcasting beaming on the road and uh, documentaries still coming along. Uh, I know I at some point it said today, but... Um, we 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 got a whole bunch of live musicians, uh, and uh, getting the music together is a, a little slower uh, than first expected. So, anyway, uh, so I wanted to just just point out all that mention all of that. And uh, yes, you can access premium podcasts with a one-time donation. The way it works is that if you donate, you get access to the premium podcast for about a year, and then you lose it. And if you subscribe, then you have access to the premium podcast for as long as you subscribe. So. Does having a link to your website on my blog count for anything, Steph? It certainly does. Uh, an air kiss, um, sadly, because it is an air kiss, there's not as much tongue as there should be. But you absolutely get uh, get my thanks. And other than that, I had a, a good time in Texas. Uh, I think I gave, uh, I gave a good talk. And... Um, it was really great to meet everyone. It's a lot of socializing at these things. I I actually quite like, you know, I flew in, went out for dinner Friday, uh, socialized with everyone on Saturday. But you know what I realized? Because I work from home, I'm a bit of a snack puppy. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm sort of of the philosophy that, that uh, you should put lots of little sticks on the fire and not one big log. So I'm generally a bit snack happy. And then for a variety of reasons, I didn't eat for eight hours straight uh, when I was at the conference. I mean, I did a talk. I wanted to watch other people's talks. I was on a panel at the end. And then we went to a restaurant, but there was going to be a band. So we ended up switching to another restaurant. It was eight or nine hours I hadn't eaten. And I was like, whoa, I'm not quite used to this. So that was actually quite exciting. Um, I began to sort of look around at people like those Looney Tunes cartoons, seeing them turning into... Um, Well, I guess not chicken wings, tofurky piles with nice uh, steaming aromas coming off them, but uh, managed to keep my biting down to, I guess, a relative minimum and mostly self-inflicted. So, uh, you know, very much like my sex life in my early teens. So I hope that you're having a great week. We have some callers lined up, so I am entirely keen to hear them. Let's do that.
1: First up today, we have Philip. Hello, Phil. Hello. Hear me? Okay. Yes, I can. Okay. How's it going? It's going well. How are you doing? Okay. Where do you want to start?
0: Where do I want to start? I do believe I'm going to bounce that question back at you.
1: Well, I guess the topic is resistance to therapy. I guess that's why I'm on here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. Not you know, because, the topic um, to really be talking. You, about. Did you just show me that resistance as well? <laughs> Not that what
0: I do is therapy, but. <laughs> I think that's that is one of the most concentrated uh, and and uh, a, a, a explanatory openings that i think i've ever heard but please go on
1: well it's it's kind of a complicated matter and you know to talk about it's because i think it's it's more invol- it's it seems to involve i guess you could say um uh, some days i feel like maybe I should go in and talk with somebody and then some days I feel like i'm okay i can you know just I just, I'll be okay, and it's like, it, it kind of, I kind of switch back and forth, I guess, that may be, sure. and there's, I mean, there's a lot of, like, I don't know, uh, things that play into it, I think, I think it's, maybe it's also has to do with uh, <clears throat> my, uh, just, I just don't have much. I don't know interest or I don't know if it's interest or I just I'm just kind of unassuming or hesitant to approach people and talk to people about your about problems and that sort of thing. It's Just kind of odd to do <laughs> for me, I guess.
0: Right. So you're you're ambivalent. It's my daughter's favorite word at the moment. So you're you're ambivalent. Um, you have a desire to and a desire not to. Now the desire not to is it to do with time or money or consequences or what?
1: Um, yeah, probably all of them to some degree. Uh, well, I just think that, um, maybe I'm, maybe I don't want, maybe I, maybe I even don't want to improve. Is that, is that possible? But, but for some reason is that some people maybe have that where you, you don't, you, you really do want to improve, but then you don't. It's the strangest thing. Oh Yeah. Well, look, you know, I don't mean
0: to lecture you on something so essential, but I think you may be using the word I incorrectly. Okay. So let me, um, uh, there's a a, a documentary on Netflix called Vegucated. Okay. And uh, in it, it's uh, it's worth watching. It really is worth watching. And just so you can say to anybody who's into global warming, oh, you eat meat? (laughs) Oh, then you're not really serious about global warming, right? And what it is, is this woman who gets uh, three New Yorkers to become vegans for six weeks. And, you know, they lose weight and their cholesterol improves and their health improves and all that kind of stuff. And it's, uh, it, it's an interesting... But what to me, the most interesting part was there's one woman. Uh, I think she's from the Philippines or so, some central... I can't... But she's But she's from one of those cultures and they're very meat-based. And she is horrified by what goes on in uh, meat farming, which... You should be. I mean, if you eat meat, you just owe it to the animals to go and watch those videos. You can find them on YouTube. Um, you really should be aware. You know, talk about a gun in the room. I mean, that's a cattle prod in the head. I mean, that's a stun gun to the throat. So uh, you need to. If you eat meat, you need to go and and look at this stuff. I mean, it's just a reality. It's uh, it's worse than the state for animals. But um, she uh, so she's pretty horrified by this stuff, and she gets the ethics of of the situation, and she gives up her meat and and other products that animal products, of course. And she, at one point, she has a genuine emotional breakdown. And nobody gets it. They think it's all about the food. But it's not about the food. It's about the fact that nobody in her culture, nobody in her family, nobody in her surrounding is taking her newfound ethical sensitivity with any seriousness at all. And that's pretty chilling, right? I mean, if you have a moral awakening, and this is less controversial than something like atheism or anarchism or any of the other things that we've talked about in this show, this is just, wow, I really don't want the planet and animals and human beings to be subjected to that process of extracting live flesh from animals. And everybody's just mocking her and everybody's just, oh, it's so silly. Oh, just have some meat. Oh, blah, blah, blah. What does it matter? So her moral center is not visible. In fact, is visible only through mockery by those around her. It's a relationship issue. It is not a meat issue. And so she wanted to quit it and what that means is that she wanted to submerge her invisibility to her surroundings, to her tribe, to her group. She wanted to submerge her invisibility through conformity. Does that make any sense?
1: Hmm. Well, that's that's an interesting that's an interesting story. Trying to still trying to make sense of it. So you so you. Well, so what I'll tell you is
0: that there is a part of you that wants to pursue therapy. And there's another part of you that does not want you to pursue therapy. Now my guess would be and it's only a guess of course, but my guess would be that there are people in your life who would not benefit from you going to therapy.
1: Well I mean that's that's tough to say. I I really I'm really not sure. I mean I live with my parents, they're they're really sheltering so it's um, I've tried to uh talk with a you know a therapist uh, while well, I scheduled an appointment with them like it was like last year, and then I told my parents about it, and they were just like really unsupportive. They said, you know you shouldn't do that, you're just wasting your time just um, you know um, read a now, book when you read a book back, or something. you will you will be quite amazed at the contradiction you just gave to me but I don't know, but that's one i mean. I mean, well, I, I don't know. <laughs> it's it's. Do you know what that contradiction was? I'm not really sure. I mean, well, I, I consider I consider my parents to be sheltering. I'm not sure if
0: that if that. No, no. What I said was there are people in your life mm-hmm. who would not benefit mm-hmm. from you going to therapy, and mm-hmm. you said I don't think that's the case. But my parents yeah. are very much opposed to it.
1: Well, I, yeah, I mean, I I I know, but I just can't. <laughs> I still feel as though they may they may be support they may be supportive if uh if I turn around you know but i i just maybe I just can't like get started and so <laughs> I kinda need their i kind of need their support to get started, so I don't know I'm
0: not sure I follow that, but what do you mean by sheltering
1: well I'm just, um, you know, they, they want me to, they're, you know, it's their routine. They, they want, they kind of want me to do things their way. We always eat dinner together. Uh, <laughs> and then they don't, they like, they turn the internet off at, at, at night cause they don't want me on the internet all night. I'm well, not like I am, but you know, stuff like that. So <laughs> and uh, how old are you? I'm 24.
0: Um, you're, sorry you're twenty four and because they don't want you on the internet, they turn it off at night
1: yeah, basically yeah <laughs> well i mean I, I would go to bed by midnight or so, but you know they <laughs> they think i stay, they think I stay up all night so
0: <laughs> and in what other way at your almost quarter century market, what other way do you uh, uh do they work to limit your behavior
1: um i I mean it's I mean, they just like to know everything about what I'm doing, where I'm going, what, you know. Um, If I go out anywhere, like, I got to tell them and they got to know exactly what I'm doing. Like, I feel like I just, there's no point really (laughs) going anywhere sometimes because, or like, I like to go, I used to like to go. Well, I still do once in a while, like, to go out to, like, a nightclub and have fun. But, you know, they, they, I mean, first they were supportive and then they, said, well, you're not finding anybody to, you know, you're not finding anybody to, um, any new friend, making any friends. Cause I'm kind of like, I kind of struggle to so- socialize. I just like to, I like the music that they play. So I would go out to enjoy it. The- Sorry, you like the music that who, played? yeah, I like, I like the music, you know, that the that they're at, that they play at these, at, uh, nightclubs. Um, and so I would go out to enjoy the music and, um, basically you know they'd say well you didn't find any you're you're not finding anybody decent there or you know somebody to you know, like for a relationship and so um you really should stop going so I kind of put up with that for a while and then eventually I just sort of well I don't go out as often anymore you know just kind of like well (laughs) you know they're not exactly it's not what I don't know they're not exactly happy with me going there they well there's always stuff on the news about you know things that happen you know, it's kind of obviously not very often but or probable but still they're kind of worried they're kind of, about your dating life they're kind of worried about you know something happening to me i guess so they don't want what's that do i dare ask about your dating life <laughs> it's non-existent really
0: and what about friends coming over or going to see friends
1: not well i mean yeah i mean i had friends and i had a friend um in college and then we kind of he moved to he went to go to. he went to japan to because he likes japanese i guess and really haven't kept up with him um it's just yeah i really don't talk to you know very many people i just go i just like to surf the internet basically you know um, and I do my own things, kind of on my own. I'm, I'm just kind of a loner, basically, <laughs> right now at least. But I don't know.
0: And what do your parents want for you uh, in your life? Like, so let's say that you're thirty. Mm-hmm. Where do they want you to uh, be? Mm-hmm. What do they want you to be doing? What do you think they want your life to be like?
1: Well, I guess they want me to go on my own and, you know, make my own make my own way. I, um I I think I might have to just go back to school and. You know, learn something more or to get some another <laughs> another degree to you know add to my add to my uh, chances of getting a job. <laughs> um, have you had a job before? Well, yeah. I mean, I work for my I work for my it's a family business. I just I just do that.
0: So. No, I mean, a job outside the family.
1: Yeah, right. Um, in college, I uh worked at uh, at a hospital, and we, uh, I did. Uh, I did work. At, that was pretty much my only. Um, well, I wanted, and I kind of wanted an internship that was related. To, I did. I majored in like uh, healthcare field, so I wanted to major that. I wanted to, to uh, you know, kind of like a job that was related to, <clears throat> to that sort of. Uh, that sort of work. I thought that would be, you know, uh, added. To, that would add to my resume, or you know, something uh-huh. of, like that. But it, I just—that's okay. uh, a a really long answer to a, a fairly short question. Sorry. <laughs> um. So, how do you
0: feel about what you're what you're saying to me? What are your thoughts about it?
1: Um. I'm kind of disillusioned. So I've, you know, I don't really feel. I don't really have. I, I don't know. I don't generally don't get strong feelings very often. It's usually just kind of... I'm just kind of used to the... Um, you could call it just emptiness. <laughs> I just... I don't have any feelings about it. It's just what it is and that's it.
0: <laughs> Was there any kind of disaster in your childhood uh, that may have made your parents, let's say, overcautious?
2: Mm,
1: not that I recall. I mean... um I don't remember anything from the first five years of my life, but from what I heard, I mean, I was with my grandparents and they, I mean, they, they live in France, but they came to see me and babysit me for while my parents were working because I think they were doing pretty heavily nine to five or nine to six jobs during my early years. And they were there for about, they, they babysit me for about six months, um, or so when I was like one or two, um, supposedly I was really. I really liked them or I bonded with them. Um, they taught they actually I was speaking French, they taught me French and then I completely forgot it all after after they left. And then I had another babysitter after that who I really didn't like. My my mom said I would run away from her all the time. <laughs> I'd be running I'd be running to my mom when she came home, uh, running away from this other babysitter which I didn't like so much. So <laughs> that's kind of what I know, but that's it. And what's your
0: prediction about where things are going to be for you in, in five years? Well, I mean, let's say, let's say that you don't go to therapy. Mm-hmm. Where do you think? So you're 30, right? And you're calling back. Mm-hmm.
1: And, oh, okay. And, you want me to call yeah. back? <laughs>
0: No, no. So, it, it, so you're 30. You call back into this show uh-huh. uh, in the um, intergalactic um, <laughs> central hub of Free Domain Radio. This will, of course, be up and running by then. Thanks to your donations. But um, Happy to help. You call back into this show, and you're 30, mm-hmm. and you haven't gone to therapy, and what's our conversation going to be like, do you think? What are you going to open with?
1: Um, I, I really... You know, I'm really not sure, to be honest, what I'm, you know, is going to, what's next. I mean, I'm thinking about going back to school. If I could go through with it, then
0: we'll go But you there. have a degree
1: already that, yes. that
0: has economic value. It's not like you did art history or something, right? Yeah. So you have a degree already that has economic value. Yeah. So what would going back to school achieve for you? I mean, it's another structured environment, right?
1: hmm Yeah. So um, I'm not yeah, sure have, how that's yeah.
0: going to break any particular barriers or, or what, what that's going to change. It would seem to me that that would be another form of procrastination or postponement.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, I've applied for dozens of jobs and I took up biomedical engineering. I mean, so it's an engineering degree, but... Um, it seems like there's not the demand for the job is sort of weak. I didn't, which I didn't really realize, or maybe I just didn't want to realize while I was in college. And so it's easily replaceable by stuff like mechanical or electrical engineering, which I and I think that's maybe why it's tougher to find. <clears throat> so I'm trying to get uh, some sort of uh, degree, maybe a. A field that's have you more, uh, more have demand. you had any interviews yet? Have you had any interviews yet? Uh, just just a couple phone interviews. Nothing. Yeah, no even uh, no real in, no in person interviews. Well, I did go to recruit. I did go to uh, you know job fairs in college. Um, one time, I was I was going to get an interview, but for some reason, I don't know the cell phone reception, or I just I just missed the call, <laughs> and it, like I. I couldn't they, I couldn't hear the the number. They left a message on my phone, so I, I almost had an um, interview from a recruiter in college, but I couldn't I couldn't get the, couldn't call him back for some reason. So that's um, yeah. So I've just had phone a couple phone interviews. That's pretty much the extent
0: of it. And so, what's your typical day? What do you what do you do?
1: Uh, well, you know, I, I work six days a week. Um, I'll go on, I go on the internet usually if, if, if there's no work to do, it's cause it's kind of the work kind of comes in, at, uh, Monday through Saturday. And then on Sundays, I just kind of sit around, you know, I, I will, I just, I just like to go on the internet, um, you know, I, uh, for, um, just reading articles, watching videos, yeah, you know, playing games. I like I like Scrabble and um, what is it? Words with friends. Those sort of word games, uh, that sort of stuff. So.
0: And you, um, you're working at your uh, your family business, is that? Yeah, right? yeah. Mm-hmm. And well, you I assume, I'm, of course, you're getting paid for that, right?
1: Yeah. Well, I work with other people. It's not like I just kind of sit in a shop, but I go out to homes and do repair work, um, in home. So I mean, I I deal with a lot of people, but it's not like. It's not really, I don't really develop a, it's usually, I usually don't develop a, you know, uh, it's just, it's just when they need us, it's not like I see these, see people, you know, the same people all the time, so I don't really develop much of a, it's more. I mean,
0: sorry, you're giving me sort of lengthy answers, and and I don't mm -hmm. fault you for that, I'm just sort of interested uh, in your response to this, so it doesn't sound to me like you have any particular problems with your life, so I'm not sure what you're calling about. Right. You sound quite satisfied with your life. You don't seem to be upset that you don't have any friends. You don't seem to be upset that you don't well, yeah, and the, have a uh, girlfriend. That. Let me finish. Let me finish, please. Okay. You don't seem to be upset that you don't have any particular job opportunities. You don't seem to be upset that you're 24 and your parents turn the internet off and tell you more or less where you can go at night. Uh, you don't seem to be bothered by any of this. Uh, I'm bothered by it, but
1: that's not, sometimes not my I, life, so it doesn't yeah, matter, right? So sometimes if you not I, yeah. bothered
0: by any of... Sorry, please let me finish. If you're not bothered by any of this, then I'm not sure why we would have a conversation about anything because all you're doing is to basically telling me that everything's kind of fine. And this is not a show where people call it and say everything's kind of fine, at least not this part of the show, other parts of the show maybe, but this is for people who are looking for, you know, philosophical answers to challenging questions, whether they're theoretical or practical. And you've spent uh, you know almost well, 20 minutes or so uh, basically telling me that everything is mostly fine you're not particularly bothered by anything so I'm not sure why we would spend more time on this
1: yeah. well yeah I mean then it then I, I mean it, but I also get depressed on occasion so it's not like it's consistent some some days I'm okay and then other days it's just it's just kind of a drag to get through so I, I mean I don't It's not like I am – it's not like I – I don't know. Maybe it's just because I'm talking with you. Maybe that's therapeutic (laughs) in a sense, but it's not like I'm, yeah, always just – I don't, I don't know, I guess. I mean, if you heard this story from someone
0: else, mm-hmm. uh, so someone else mm-hmm. came up to you and said, mm-hmm. I'm 24, uh, I don't go out because my parents don't really like it, I don't have any friends, I'm not dating, I have no prospect of dating, mm-hmm. I have no prospect of getting friends, mm-hmm. uh, I have no prospect of changing my, my future in any particular kind of way, and mm-hmm. my parents seem pretty much fine with this. In fact, then they, they, they're not a fan of me going to therapy. Uh, what would you say?
1: i wouldn't I wouldn't know where to start really, but um i mean just i guess it's you know it's my life, it's your life, <laughs> you know not mine, i guess, but that would be that'd be pretty much it you'd have no
0: opinions about whether that was good or bad or uh, a a valuable way to spend our short and precious existence
1: probably not great i yeah i, I <laughs> i'm uh if, in, that, in that sense, yeah, not, not, not too good.
0: Yeah. Well, um, you don't seem to have... I mean, look, if, if you want to just sort of stay around your mom's skirts for the rest of your life, I've seen where it goes. It's really not pretty. I've seen where this goes. It's really not pretty. Because there's a whole bunch of things you're not learning how to do. You know, like we all, we're all going to join a band and we're either going to play well or we're going to play badly. And it all has to do with how much we practice. We're all going to be in a band called Adulthood. You're not there yet. You're living at home. Your parents are dictating your rules and all this kind of stuff, right? And that's ridiculous for a 24-year-old man. I mean, sorry, it's ridiculous. And I understand that this is your environment, and I really have sympathy. But your parents are not going to be around forever. And being at home with your parents, you're not learning how to play the instrument called Adulthood. But you're going to join the band at some point. And if you join the band and you don't know how to play, it's really horrible. Mm -hmm. It's really horrible. And it's just, oh my goodness, it's wretched. It's wretched. And so if you don't get that you're 24, you know, your life is like a third over. Do you you get that? Your life is a third over. And you're living like a 15-year-old. And what that means is that you're not developing the social skills necessary to survive in adulthood, the romantic skills, the dating skills, the grooming skills, the wooing skills, the charm skills, the sexual skills. This stuff doesn't just get handed. It's not like puberty. This stuff just doesn't get handed to you. It doesn't accumulate to you through time uh-huh. any more than you wake up one day being able to play guitar really well. Uh-huh. You have to practice it. Yeah. I just... And you've spent, like, you've spent a whole lot of time not practicing it And I don't think you get what that means for your adult life.
1: Yeah, I know. Well, I think I just avoid practicing it. I mean, I just felt so—I felt really guilty when I, I guess, reached puberty. It just was amazing. It was just a guilt um, complex, or I'm not sure what it was. But I just kind of just stopped the, you know, the feeling, and just kind of uh, stuck to schoolwork. I would just, you know, just concentrate on my schoolwork pretty much,
0: you know... Um. And your solution is maybe I should go back to school. In other words, go back to another structured environment mm-hmm. where my roadmap is laid out for me and then you'll be 30 and you won't have developed self-sufficiency skills, self-esteem skills and you'll have another half decade with more debt of avoiding yeah. the things that you need to grab onto in this life and that you yeah. need to do. Yeah, you that's, yeah, that's what know, I feel like. It's an hourglass in mm-hmm. your youth. There's an hourglass in your
1: youth. Yeah. You don't
0: have forever to go out and start your life. Yeah. Because if you're 30 and other people have been doing it for 10 or 15 years, yeah. then you're like 30, you just pick up your first guitar, and you're trying to audition for a band next to Eric Clapton. Right? Every day that you spend not developing the skills you need to succeed as an adult, and other people are, you are getting further and further and further behind, to the point, at some point, you will simply be unable to catch up.
1: Yeah, I feel like you're right. I mean, I agree. that When you said the structured environment, I mean, that was like, that's, I, I feel like, yeah, I need like somebody on top of me or like a structured environment to keep, um, to, yeah, to, I, I guess I can't, I don't know, go on my own or something. But it's, yeah, I I, I totally, I, I see where you're coming from. I mean, and, I mean, I get depressed on occasion and, you know, many times a week usually. I mean, it's kind of comes up, it comes and goes and I just kind of. you know just stick with it and you know my feelings go away but yeah i i'm not but look you you have look obviously your parents and you are scared of
0: the world right i mean is that an unfair summary oh oh,
1: well yeah i mean um well i mean without going too much details yeah my dad's pretty paranoid he's um he's into a lot of conspiracy theories and that's kind of that's something I'm in. I get to look I look up a lot too and I hear about a lot of it so I I kind of get absorbed into that sort of world um and uh okay so yeah. I think
0: the short answer there and you, this is part of the social skills you're not developing mm-hmm. right is to be succinct and and to the point now I know I've got 2500 or 3000 shows but that's okay that's my job right yeah. yeah but the reality is that you're scared of the world and The problem with that is that your parents weren't scared enough of the world that they didn't go out, find each other, and have kids, right? But that's not Mm -hmm. where you're heading.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: It's unfair. Mm -hmm. It's unfair because they went out and did what they did in order to... uh, Are they religious by chance?
1: Yeah. My mom is really uh, religious. My dad's sort of, uh, he's kind of, I guess, more, more or less, he's open to new ideas,
0: so, okay yeah. so so the, here's here's the problem I mean, one of the many problems is that your parents are scared of conspiracy theories but what they should be scared of is your future which is not only are they not helping you prepare for and have not helped you prepare for but in many ways they're actively inhibiting right that's the that's mm-hmm. the real like, everybody thinks that there's some monster over the mountain the monsters in the house in the mirror right
3: mm-hmm.
0: i mean what they what do they have to be scared of the fact that you're not getting your life started that, that's a very real, tangible thing to be scared of that needs action. Sure. You know, but it's all about, you know, fluoride and vaccines and 9-11 and mm-hmm. whatever, right? Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. That's not where the problem is. Mm-hmm. And if there's this outlet for anxiety called conspiracy theories, it's a way of dulling or drugging your senses to the true danger that's much more proximate and much more actable, Right. And everything we do, we train ourselves for, right? Everything we do is training. So if you have a fear of the world and you avoid the world, you are training yourself to avoid the world. Do you, you, you understand? Every time the fear wins, the fear gets stronger. Every time courage wins, courage gets stronger. And so every time, it's like every time you don't go to lift weights, you get weaker, right? Every time you don't eat, you get hungrier. And every time that you say, well... I'm not going to, I'm going to avoid thinking about my life. I'm going to avoid thinking about my future. I'm going to avoid trying to deal with the issues at hand. Then your avoidance is a muscle that grows stronger. And your willpower to achieve, your willpower to break free, your willpower to become your own person gets weaker. And this doesn't go on forever. At some point, the avoidance gets so strong that that's all there is left.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, I guess it's just something I've, um, I, mean, I, I really, I, and even in high school when I did pretty well in school, um, I really wouldn't think about, you know, where I was going too much. I just kind of did my work and, um, that was kind of an outlet maybe to just avoid everything else. Just, I just worked really hard and pretty much would, I didn't really, I don't think I had any of my classmates even like, you know hang out with me over my house, I don't think once during high school, because I, I, I was just so absorbed in my work, uh, <coughs> doing, you know, school work, um, and so...
0: I, because that's a structured environment that- where you don't have to be your own person. Right, you're like a pinball bouncing get, off
1: these requests and requirements. Yeah, I mean, I'd be I'd be great at that, I guess, because I could I could yeah I could do I could do that perfectly. I was maybe it just wasn't my own person. I couldn't figure, I could just adapt really. I I I just I know I I recalled how well I could adapt to, you know, my teachers and you know the, their styles and what they wanted me to say. Well, let say. me tell you where this goes.
0: Right, and then. If this doesn't help you get into therapy, there's uh, move on to the next caller because nothing really else that I can say. Okay. So, this I, I, this is a third hand story, but I, I think it's true. So, there was a guy I knew in high school, single mom, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, really into Dungeons and Dragons and martial arts and all mm-hmm. that. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he kept complaining about not meeting a woman. And he kept on going. He lived in the same apartment building as his mom, like two floors up. Mm-hmm. And he kept going to his mom's place for dinner. Why? She was lonely. She'd make him dinner, she'd bring him over. It's selfish on the part of the parent. Mm-hmm. Your children are not there to stuff up your gaps, to, to, to fix your insecurities. You know, obviously your parents are anxious about you going out into the world. Yeah. And also I would assume they don't have great social skills, otherwise they would have transferred those to you. Which means that if you go out into the world, they lose an employee, they gotta find someone else, and that's obviously anxiety. So it's easier for them in the short run if you stay home, right? Because they're not anxious about where you are or what you're doing and they don't have to find someone to, right? Which is why they're like, math yeah, therapy, right? That's so, I mean, that's selfish. So, so this guy's mom, she was lonely, right? She wasn't married, and so she just have her son come over for dinner every night, eating his future, right? Feeding him food and eating his future, because he wasn't developing the skills that he needed to go out into the world. And then, uh, he, his mom died.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: His mom died, and he have no capacity for change anymore. This will happen to you.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Almost for certain. Mm -hmm. And then he moved into his mom's apartment and now sleeps in the same room that she slept in when she was alive.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. And he still plays his Dungeons and Dragons and he still goes to his martial arts. And that's going to be the rest of his life. And that's it. Mm -hmm. Right? He's going to die a virgin.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, it's I know it's sad, but I just can't. I don't know. I just I I can't summon an emotion to feel you know guilty anymore. It's just kind of like, well, forget it. I mean, but I I I, I think it might be worth just to try I guess a, a session or two of therapy, or at least talk to somebody about it. See what see what's out. I'm not sure really what how to salt. I'm not really sure. I guess it's still a problem I could they could I could fix with enough therapy. You think? Or?
0: Well, you should go talk to a therapist. Of course. Yeah. I mean, that's my my opinion. Yeah. It's an amateur idiot opinion on the internet as usual. But by God, you need to go to therapy. Okay. My life is passing you by. You're you're like Han Solo stuck in copper, without even the adventures beforehand, and with no woman waiting for him on the other side. You're you're stuck in the box. You're you're like a
1: mosquito in amber. Okay, well, all right, well, thank you for the tough love, I guess. That's all I could say.
0: And I sympathize. I mean, the love part is I really sympathize. I mean, in a way, you almost don't know what you're missing because they've been that sheltered, right? So I really sympathize, and I wish it had been different. And I really want to instill in you a sense of panic. (laughs) Panic, man! You know, uh, I I think it's I think it's important. I I would definitely go to therapy and be, you know, you need to find some way to get in touch with your emotions. What it means is that your natural emotions are antithetical to your existing family structure. And this is why you, you probably are unable to feel them. That's sort of my Amateur opinion, but um, uh, I would definitely go to therapy and invest in the relationship. And when your parents turn the Internet off, start journaling. Like, write, record your dreams, all the stuff that is really essential for self-knowledge. Get workbooks by Nathaniel Brandon, particularly his Psychology of Self-Esteem and How to Build Your Self-Esteem books are great. John Bradshaw okay. has some, some great stuff. Um, okay. You know, read your Alice Miller, read. You know, all of the stuff that's out there that's really, really important in terms of helping to build your self-knowledge, that is essential. Uh, that That's a school that I would suggest you go to the school of the South because that is what makes all progress and learning, I think, of the long run really possible.
1: Okay. Well that's um, good to know. I I don't want to hold you off too much, but um, that's uh, appreciate it. I appreciate all the advice. Definitely will uh, right. look in the thing. Well
0: thank you very much. I appreciate you calling in. It's definitely a tough topic. I really want to commend your courage in talking about it it's a tough stuff to open up about so i really really commend your courage that is the noblest and most heroic part of you and it is genuinely heroic so i really wanted to to thank you for that
1: okay well thanks for having me take care all Right. take care all right next up we have i'm going to say this wrong i apologize in advance premik yes
3: it's me hello hello um, uh, the thing, uh, the issue I would like to speak about uh, is uh, that when I got acquainted with your uh, books and podcasts, uh, I found it very enlightening. So uh, soon it uh, became my primary issue how to pass uh, those, these uh, ideas on my children. Uh, I found some uh, some nice examples that you spoke about with your uh, daughter and uh, but uh, I would like to if you can advise me what to start with uh, if you have any structure how to how to pass those ideas uh, to children. My oldest uh, children is five now and uh, but uh, I would like to uh, uh, to pass those. Ideas, and uh, I don't know exactly how what to start with and how to do it.
0: Well, and which uh, which ideas in particular are you interested in? I mean, in I Jonsai? mean, in
3: philosophy, uh, I mean, uh, I I read, uh, university Preferred behavior, and I mean the the those ideas about, uh, about uh, which which came from uh, based on this book. Uh, right.
0: Okay, so I'll give you. So you you haven't had to teach your child much about the stability of matter, right? Like her physical things. Like you don't have to teach her object constancy. She learns that because objects are constant, right? So the best way to teach your child logic is to be consistent as a parent, right? Because because matter is consistent, right? Everywhere she goes, water is a liquid, you know, and a table is a solid, and a wall is vertical, and a roof is horizontal, and blah, 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 right? So the consistency of matter is how she learns physics, right? Now, why is there so much irrationality in the world? Well, matter can't choose to be irrational, but human beings can be. And so if you are consistent in your principles, if you are consistent in your values, if you strive for consistency and integrity with virtue to match physical matters' adherence to physical laws then there will be no place for irrationality to land or to be developed or to be absorbed or reflected in your child's mind. So uh, when I was in uh, Belize, uh, I was having dinner with my wife and my daughter, and um, just we fell into conversation about logic with my daughter. And I gave her like 12 logical fallacies, and she got them. Boom, 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 boom. She even knew the Latin. No, she didn't know the Latin. (laughs) But she got them, and she knew how to solve them. And this is not because I've sat down and taught her logic. I have tried to embody consistency as as a parent, as a human being, right? So uh, if I make a promise, I will move heaven and earth to keep that promise or at least tell her why I can't and explain everything to her. Uh, if we have guidelines or suggestions about what to eat and so on, we go through the biology of why and all this, that, and the other. And so I have tried to be as consistent with my principles as matter is with physics, and I've done a fairly good job. I've done a pretty good job. Yes. And uh, so be- because of that, because of that, she knows logic because she knows consistency. And what is logic other than consistency? And she is an amazingly consistent uh, child, and she has a deep understanding of logic and its exceptions. Because in the same way that she understands the physical properties of matter, consistency is, is the best way to teach logic. Then, then you don't have to teach it. Does, does that make any sense?
3: Mm-hmm. Yes, it makes. But sometimes I feel that uh, it does. It's uh, that I'm not doing enough. That uh, I want to. That I want to uh, pass it like 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 math or like. Uh, yeah, it should have some structure. Eh? You should begin this and then this and this. Yeah, that. Uh, uh, yeah, but this. now, sorry, do
0: you do you feel that you want to do that because there's something that is not developing? No, as no, fast no. as you like, or in the right in the right way that you no, want. No, no, it, it's
3: just like because uh, I like it because I feel that it's so important for me. So mm-hmm. uh, that. Uh, I would like to not to <laughs> leave uh, any uh, any room for for, for misunderstanding
0: or uh. right and, and look I really admire that would it be fair to say oh sorry <laughs> leading question Your um the environment that you grew up in was it generally rational or not so much
3: yes i can say generally yes to which. rational
0: generally rational okay yeah, so yeah, that's good. rational mm-hmm. Okay, so you grew up in an environment that was quite rational, and therefore you absorbed a good deal of reason just through your, the consistency of your interactions, right? So, I think that my daughter is about the best logician in the world, in my opinion. I think she's, she's really, really good at, uh, at debating. She's really, really good at uh, making a case. She's very slippery. She knows exactly when to be a sophist and when to be a, a rhetorician and when to be a logician. I mean, all of these are, I think, very important skills. You know, if you... All knowledge has its dark side, right? If you know how to heal, you know how to hurt uh, and so on. So, uh, so I think all of these things are, are very uh, important skills for her to have. I, and, and I think like all parents, I want to hit the gas with my daughter's development. Right? I, I want to like, oh, it'd be great if she went faster in this area or this, that or the other, right? But I personally try to resist that, that impulse. Um, obviously, she's, I mean, I know that you know this, right? I'm not saying that you don't, but, but she's not a thing. She's not a, a car to be driven. She's not something to be massaged or painted or <laughs> she's not an object. She's developing and if I get behind and try and push her in any particular direction, then what I'm saying is that there's something wrong with where she is. And I've known enough children to know what an incredible treasure I have on my hands. And so I'm really, I don't like to make her feel like she has any kind of deficiency. And so if I say, well, you know, you need to learn how to read better, or I really want you to start doing math, right? Then I'm saying that where she is is deficient and needs to be fixed, and I'm kind of hesitant to do that. Uh, and, and she will, I mean, she's learning these things in and of herself, right? I mean, it's important to recognize the degree to which children are constantly observing and absorbing, right? So I can be sitting there chatting with some adult friends, and if my daughter's around, uh, she'll, you know, pipe up suddenly in the middle, and she's like, wants something explained to her that's in the middle of the adult conversation, but she's listening to and absorbing everything. And that's a very powerful thing. It's sort of like saying, well, if you go to Japan and you don't speak Japanese, but you're never allowed to speak your own language, how can you accelerate that learning? Well, you can't. I mean, going to Japan, not being allowed to speak your own language is about the fastest way that you could learn Japanese, I would assume. I mean, if you have to go in and you have to interact with Japanese people, uh, you're going to be learning as fast as you possibly can. And then for someone to come along and say, well, you need to learn Japanese faster. It's like, ah. learn <laughs> it's like you're running full tilt and somebody says faster, unless you have a jetpack, That's not going to happen. So I would not, I mean, I'm just sort of pointing out the parameters. I, I certainly respect, recognize and, and value your desire to to have your kids grow faster or think faster or whatever it is. But there is a downside to that, which is that you will be communicating that where they are is deficient in some way. And my goodness, I wish I learned as much in six months as my daughter does in your average day or two. Uh, So it's really hard for me to say that there's something else that she needs to be doing. Does that make any sense?
3: Yes, it makes. Uh, uh, Another thing maybe is that I know that uh, I'm not uh, the only one who uh, who educates her. Uh, She uh, she meets her friends and uh, other people. Who, uh, who doesn't? Sh- who don't share my views? Uh, so maybe I want to uh, be clear that uh, uh, my uh, my views are uh, dominant, or uh, to uh, yes, to explain her. That, uh,
0: no, sorry. Let me just interrupt for a second. So when she has a friend who does not share her views, uh-huh. how do you deal with that, as a parent?
3: I try to explain it that uh but it's my view on on particular issue and uh why it is uh, why I feel that it's not uh, the correct way or uh, this this way I try to explain and to Well sorry is that hard.
0: is that honest I mean are you being honest in that in other words is it like a matter of taste like some kid really likes blue and you say well I I I feel, I feel, I feel, I feel that
3: sorry. my that my view is uh, uh yeah, I I want to try, I want to uh, show her my view and. Um.
0: Well, no. See, you're you're talking about my view and I feel, which uh-huh. doesn't have anything to do with philosophy, right? Uh-huh. Yes. Right. It's not you. You, you don't feel that it's your view that the world is round, uh-huh. Some kid comes along and says the world is square. You say, uh-huh. "I'm sorry, that kid is wrong," and here's why.
3: Yeah, but it's what I'm talking about. That he he said that it's square, and I'm about to show that it's round. Yeah.
0: Okay, but just because you were using uh, weasel words, right, uh, which uh-huh. is, I feel, and it's my view that, and I want to explain to her how I approach, right, so, but if, if you want your kids, and this is tough, this is one of the toughest things to do as a parent, is that if one of your kid's friends has a, a, a position that is false, then it's a challenge. I mean, obviously, there's no point going to tell your kid, well, that kid's view is false, and my view is right, and because like, that's just teaching conclusions, right? Uh-huh. But it is a challenge, right? Because, we, you know, as parents, you know, we obviously want our kids to, to have friends. But at the same time, um, it's a challenge because we don't want to pretend that all opinions are equal, right? Mm-hmm. And there is, of course, the concern that you say, well, the world is is not square. The world is round. And then what's going to happen when you're a kid? Goes to, uh, goes to that kid and says, "Well, world is not square." My dad told me, and here's why. Maybe it's really important to that kid that the world is square. you know, <laughs> you know what I mean?:
3: So you mean that uh, the, the only uh, source of, of, uh, of uh, her information that it's square it's, that I said it.
0: Well, no, so if she got yeah. a kid who says the world is square, and you explain to her that the world is round, and here's yes. why, right? And then, you obviously, you're not saying it's your opinion or you feel, but, but it is, right? And then yes. she's going to go back to that kid, and she may say to, to that kid, uh, the world is not square, you're wrong, and here's why.
3: So she should be uh, capable of uh,
0: explaining well, yeah, but she. But what's going to happen, right? If, if that kid, then it's you know, it's really important to that kid emotionally that the world is square, right? Could be whatever cultural myth is going on, and uh, then uh, you know, it just it can be a bit of a challenge, right? Because some some relationships can only be maintained by wallpapering over legitimate and important differences, right?
3: And. Um Another thing is that uh, not only what concerns my children and but uh, we are also going to establish school here uh, in our village and uh, I think that it would be fine to uh, to be able to uh, implement uh, universally preferred behavior, for example, to curriculum somehow, some basics for for children. Do you think that it's possible to to teach it like like subject in school?
0: Oh, yeah. In fact, I think that it's impossible to not teach UPB to children because that's all their brains are doing anyway, is universalizing principles. I mean, 90% of my daughter's activity is universalizing principles. That's most of what her mental... Faculties are doing and that's what differentiates us from all other species is the universalization of principle And this started around the age of two and a half for her. It probably started earlier I just didn't have the experimental setup to to prove it But uh, you know wherever language is occurring wherever predictive behavior in the physical realm is like I can jump from here, but I can't jump from here Uh, This is all the universalization, right? I mean my daughter likes to I think like all kids figure out how many steps she can jump from And, you know, should we get in some new place. Oh, here's steps I've never been. I'm going to do 20. No, she knows, right? Because she's universalized that gravity is a universal constant, that steps are pretty much the same height, so she can do three, but not four, or four, but not five. She doesn't try, like, so she knows she's universalized, all of that stuff. Arc, trajectory, gravity, what her body can handle, what's painful, what's not, it's all. And UPB is just the universalization of preferable behavior. Just like, uh, you know, it's preferable that I don't owie my feet by jumping from a step that's too high. Uh, the avoidance of pain is, in general, universally preferable behavior. It's not necessarily ethical, and it's certainly not completely universal. So, when talking about behavior, um, she is very much uh, into uh, UPB because she's always looking for exep- ex- uh, exceptions to any rule, which is a natural behavior, and it really it's been so, so instructive for me as a parent when dealing with people on the internet or even in person, you can, you can see almost down to the month where they had challenges in their developmental stages, right? Because now she's all about, well, what if there is an exception to this, right? And we have to go through it. Well, how could that happen? Tell me what, you know, what could happen and all that kind of stuff. And so she, she gets that there are rules and she accepted the rules before and now she's looking for exceptions to the rules because she's four. right So now she's looking for exceptions to the rules. She's testing the consistency of the theories. And so you know we, we talk about there are you know two kinds of things right I mean you can you can eat some sugar and still be healthy, but you can't eat some poison and still be healthy. Right. So there are some things which are a scale and there are some things which are absolutes, And the difference between the two is really important. Right. You can. um, uh, You can draw outside the lines if you want. It won't make the picture as pretty, I think, but you can certainly draw outside the lines. It's your picture. But you can't ever go up and whack another kid in the head. Not that she's ever wanted to or or even indicated that. But that's you know. So there are some things which are scales, some things which are aesthetics, some things which are aesthetically preferable actions or politeness or whatever and then there are some things which you just can't do and we sort of you know go through all the theories for that it's it's something that formal instruction i think is not particularly helpful to children because they're so empirical so i think that what you want to do is live and do and as questions come up uh, answer them as a part of living and doing rather than sit them down And try and drill answers into their head or methodologies into their head that are disconnected from living and doing. So if you're out living and doing, the questions will naturally arise. But if you are like, I mean, you can tell your kids all about the equator and and, uh, the circumference of the world and the seasons and this and that and the other. Or you can say, hey, do you remember how there was snow at home and there's not snow in Belize? Isn't that interesting? Why do you think that is? Well, it's hotter here. Well, yeah, it's hotter here. Why do you think it's hotter here? I mean, it, we didn't travel for so long. that winter became summer. So you just, you can get into teaching things because of living and doing. And I think that's uh, the best way. And I think that produces a connection between theory and practice that's really important. Thank you. I think and if you if you see bad behavior from other children you know some kid spits or you know hits their parent or something like that then I think that's really important to talk about with your children cuz they'll see it they'll absorb it and it becomes a countervailing principle to that which is supposed to be universal and so that's something that I think is really really important to, uh, to talk about with your children. Right? I mean, if they saw it, right? So, oh my goodness, did you see that? What do you think? What What do you think happened? Why do you think it's happened?
3: So, not, not like uh, math teaching, but better living and doing.
0: Yeah, I mean, my daughter is certainly very interested in numbers now, and she doesn't have that fear of numbers that I had because, you know, I mean, I think math phobia generally comes from the fact that a lot of authority figures invent right and wrong answers, not to teach, but to punish. And so where there are right and wrong answers, rather than is this a pretty picture or do you like my story, where there are right and wrong answers, people tend to avoid that because they avoid the punishment that comes from having a wrong answer. And math is one of those things that has right and wrong answers. And so people generally try to uh, avoid uh, avoid that stuff if they come from that sort of environment but um if they have no fear of a wrong answer then so she has no particular fear of, of mathematics and she's really experimenting with it to see what she can combine with to get various numbers and all that you know with uh, with things not with right not with numbers she can write a few numbers she can write her name and all that but not you might so with marbles with you know the hungry hippo balls or whatever it is uh, that's and she loves to count things and, and to sort of, you know, we'll sometimes play a game with fingers, you know, like if I take this from this, what do I get kind of stuff? Uh, that's kind of fun. But it's always to do with things, not with uh, abstracts alone. Because I want to tell her that the things are primary. right? The basic thing about philosophy to me is that things are primary, ideas are secondary, right? Uh, concepts are imperfectly derived from entities or instances. And so I always wanted to know that the thing wins and the ideas don't. Uh, because for her to be a Platonist would be... Horrendous, uh, I think, for her, uh, for her reality development and reality centering. And so, uh, so yeah, I think all of these things are, are opportunities for learning. But I try to avoid, you know, okay, we're going to sit down and you learn how to read, because that is not a living and doing thing. And I want her learning to come out of that. Anyway, I hope that makes some sense. and uh, It's it makes, even remotely useful. Maybe uh,
3: I, I sometimes feel that uh, I can't, uh, I can't find uh, the right, comprehensible for them uh, example to explain some that by for example for why is wrong to cheat when we play cards yeah and uh, I t- sometimes find it difficult to explain and uh, when you when I heard uh, when I hear your podcast I uh, found that you you somehow uh, more easily find those examples and I try to use them when I when it when it fits. And well, yes, but
0: of course, cheating can be a lot of fun, right? I mean, this is, this is the problem, right? I mean, cheating can be really enjoyable, right? So if we're playing, uh, uh, what's a game she likes? Uh, Candyland, right? So if we're playing Candyland, sometimes you get something which, you know, sends you back a ways or whatever. And she'll pretend it wasn't there. She'll try to hide it. She'll slip it under another card. That's hilarious to me. I mean, it's re- it's really funny. Uh, so, you know, cheating can be, can be a lot of fun. But, you know, and and together to understand that difference uh, is really important, you know, th- that you can break rules for fun if everybody's in on the joke, then that it's fun, right, uh, and when it's not that important, but cheating is uh, obviously just it's a kind of lying, and, um, you know, I mean, just examples, so, you know, if I, you know, if I said that you could have half my piece of chocolate and then, then I ate the whole chocolate, like if I said, if you do X, you're going to have half my piece of chocolate, and then you did X and I... I ate your whole chocolate, how would you feel, right? So that's they can usually get that. And once they get how they feel and you've been consistent, the universalization comes automatically from there. So uh, I think that kind of stuff uh, is, uh, is just really important. But, of course, you know, a, a, a lot of parents don't want to give these standards of consistency to their children because they don't want to be held to those standards of consistency themselves because it's painful, right? I mean – It's painful to be consistent if you were raised inconsistently because you touch on the nerve of everything that was lost and hurt by other people's inconsistency in your life, right? So consistency is painful for people. And that is, you know, it's like if you grow up obese and then you lose weight, part of the pain of losing weight is realizing all the things you lost out on because you were obese, you know maybe the sports you couldn't do and maybe the 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 social engagements you had trouble with the self-consciousness that plagued you whatever it is right the, the losing weight to me is is uh, or whatever it is right if you if you change or reverse a factor of your upbringing it's emotionally painful because it like a tide withdrawing from a beach it exposes everything that was lost and died in the shallows literally so uh, I think that's that's a challenge, but, you know, you can avoid that by starting off with consistency as best you can.
3: So, I thank you for, <laughs> for debating. I think that we covered what I want.
0: You're very welcome, and uh, I really wanted to uh, send out my extreme admiration um, to you as a parent. My goodness, what lucky children you have to have your consistency and your focus on these issues i mean yay massive revolutionary shout out congratulations so uh, good for you good for you man well done thank you bye-bye all right mm, next
1: next up we have kyle
4: hi is my sound okay it sure is awesome hi stuff
0: hi i'm sorry there's one thing that's wrong with your sound um you do realize that this is a sausage fest, right? Um, I, I, am not sure that the show can accommodate an estrogen-laced perspective. Uh, so no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Thank you so much for calling (laughs) it. Come on, strap on something. Let's, let's talk. (laughs) Strap on,
4: huh? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, actually my, uh, subject is kind of related to the, the first caller. Um, I've had kind of an issue with like dissociation slash, like I feel kind of, Detached. In, uh, oh, first off, I'm really nervous. So if I suddenly faint, um, yeah, call nine one one, maybe. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, I, I've been listening. Hmm?
3: Yeah,
4: yeah, I, I've been listening to your show for gosh, um, more than four years now, and I, this is the first time I've called in. I've only made one post that I never even followed up. Followed up on on the board and um my therapist and I have some ideas but I just have you had a lot of um callers and FDR members that have had the this issue I know the first one did um
0: now do you mean sort of like detachment from your own emotions
4: um I think I'm a little more attached to my emotions nowadays but like I want more things to happen in my life, like career and relationship and stuff. But okay. uh, you know,
0: yeah, that's a huge issue. It's a huge issue. I yeah, mean, and I, I feel it's the an issue in and... general. Yeah, yeah, it's an. Sorry to interrupt. If you're feeling oh, shy, but it's it's an issue in general. But it's a. I think it's a particular issue for people who are interested in the consistency and predictability of philosophical principles, right? Because the world looks a whole lot less crazy when you're crazy, right? Mm-hmm. And philosophy, of course, is designed to make you sane. And what that does is it makes you get taller and everyone else suddenly looks a whole lot and is a whole lot shorter. It's like everyone's at a rave and everyone's on ecstasy and everyone's like, wow, this is cool. This music is great. Everybody's dancing fantastically. Everyone's beautiful. I'm thirsty, right? <laughs> and then philosophy comes along and says, no ecstasy for you. <laughs> and then you and have everybody to come turns drive, and zombies. But you, yeah, but you've got to stay at the rave. And you're like, these people are not good dancers. <clears throat> They're not all very pretty. I'm still thirsty. <laughs> and this music sucks. It only didn't suck because I was on ecstasy, right? I mean, this is just like a heartbeat with a metronome and uh, a, a, an accordion. So so the problem is with sobering up and sanitizing <laughs> becoming sane. I don't know. That's the wrong word. But the problem with that is that then, you know, it's like sobering up at a party. It's like these people are just idiots. You know, beer pong is not that much fun. Um, this, these people are just yelling you know like the woohoo people and all this kind of stuff like this is not this is not any kind of interaction this is just the avoidance of contact yeah
4: and that's the kind distraction. of what my therapist brought up is that I'm dissociating because I'm not surrounded by people who are connected or by people who are really even safe to be around sometimes you know
0: yes so it, it, you, you can't like you're going to end up dissociating if you're with people who are dissociating right Right. Because you can't associate them because it's a long and complicated process. Right.
4: Right. And that you, um, just to
0: use my band metaphor, Like, if you're really good at guitar, you ain't going to sound good if you're in a band where no one can play. <laughs> yeah. And you can't just sort of sit down and say, listen, just play that because it takes years and years to, to learn how to play really well. You know, the 10,000 hours or whatever. Right. Yeah. So you can't you can't upvote other people's sanity. Uh, but yours is floating up, nonetheless. And yes, they all do look like little hands from up here.
4: <laughs> but, yeah, uh, my um, so. my therapist had me record a conversation with my parents, and it was glaringly obvious. My mother, especially, completely dissociated. Um, they don't talk about anything real. If I bring it up, they kind of talk about it a little bit and then change the subject. It's just yeah. And I haven't been. I thought it was more interesting than note to note that they were dissociated than to actually do RTR, but maybe I should approach that too,
0: I don't know. (sighs) Okay, so so the reason that I was saying that the sort of failure to launch, you know, Mm -hmm. as I sort of said, it's not so much failure to launch as it is nowhere to land, Um, Mm, Yeah. You know, like if they said, we've got a spaceship. See, it's got 12 billion pounds. uh, What is it they say? 12 million horsepower. Like I think Seinfeld says, like, at what point do we just have there to humiliate the horse? You know, (laughs) it's just (laughs) why would we even use that measure anymore? Come on. We got 12 million of you sitting in this little package. But um, uh, so then they said, hey, we've got this great spaceship. It's wonderful. We're going to send you out into space. And you say, great. When do I come back? We say, well, I don't know. Uh, Where am I going? Uh, well, you know, maybe you'll find something out there. uh You know, kind of go to Mars. No, now we can't get you to Mars. How about the moon? No, we've been there already. We're just going to send you out into space uh, on this amazing technological spaceship, and we just hope, uh you know, that you'll find some place to land. Uh, uh, and but you can't come back here. Yeah, and the, <laughs> I mean, you feel like I think no, thank you.
4: Right? Yeah, and ever since I've graduated from college, like there's been no set structure to my life, so I've. I also got one of the. Uh, <laughs> I didn't get, d- get a degree in art history, but I got it in sequential art, which is comic books and storyboards. So, not exactly engineering. <laughs> so I've been kind you of. You got the, a degree in comics? Yeah.
0: yeah. That's cool. I've been never even heard of such a thing. Sequential yeah, was, art it was Sorry, pretty new when comics.
4: I when I started up. So it's it's starting to spread a little more, but
0: yeah. For your final exam, we're going to give you a long book. You have to have Death Star blow-up in the bottom corner and only felt it pens. <laughs> right, okay. Yeah. All right. I mean to market to it. I'm sure it's quite complicated, and I actually got an advanced copy of the movie The Silver Circle, which is not exactly comic book art, but it's actually a very, Oh, yeah, it's very, yeah. very fun
4: I, I did check that out, yeah. <laughs> um,
0: and so so your situation at the moment, uh, what's, the, what's the area well, of view where you are, of, where you could go? Yeah,
4: I'm kind of in limbo as far as the career goes but um i'm trying i live in uh, carson city nevada i'm trying to get out of there to denver colorado where there's more more active people more energetic there's a lot of free domain members there um but yeah as far as the career I, the the other issue is is um after college I stopped doing art and I don't think it's because I don't like art, but um, I was listening to the podcast you had with uh, Elliot Hulse and um, it came up that uh, people who put their work out there are are unable to accept um, the love of people sending money back to them. Like the last time I was really active with art, I had somebody commissioning me pieces and he was really impressed with the art, and even tipped me. And after that, I just I just stopped drawing. Like I, I withdrew from all of my online accounts and everything. So wait, you know. got paid and you stopped doing it? Yeah.
0: Perhaps I should give you some economics one hundred and one. <laughs> <laughs> Pay is supposed to be an incentive to make you do more of it. I know, you
4: know. I know, I know. <laughs> all
0: right. Now, what do your parents view about your art?
4: Um, they're. Accepting of it, but um, my dad also is an artist, but he stopped doing art too.
0: That is such a non-answer. Um, uh, <laughs> I appreciate I appreciate okay. that that wonderfully cloudy helium laced non-answer. Um, do they uh, do they believe or accept or encourage you to do this as your primary career goal? And uh, are they behind you one hundred percent in in helping you uh, make this happen? Um.
4: Yeah. Not 100 percent. No, my dad keeps on trying to tell me, you know, the art world is really hard. You know, it's hard to get out there and actually get work. And I mean, the last time he was in the art field was uh, before the Internet. So. Oh,
0: so we're talking like cave painting, right?
4: I get it. Yeah. Well, I mean, not before. But before the Internet was really popular. So it's probably been 10 years around. So he's still got this the, the starving artist view going on. Yeah. Yeah. He, no, I got it. Me I mean, it was a lot harder,
0: of course. I mean, Justin Bieber is Justin Bieber because of the internet, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, unlikely check. he would have. So, okay, so if your parents um, – I'm going to polarize this. And if this is bullshit, then just tell me, right? So I'm going to polarize this. This is not the case, right? But if I set myself against one of my daughter's goals, then if she achieves that goal, it's a win-lose, right? then I have been wrong as a parent in something so fundamentally essential as my, do- the do- my daughter's achievement of her most yearned for goal. And she has achieved it despite me. You know, when I say, oh, can be, oh, caution, oh, this, oh, that, right? I mean, my particular philosophy with myself and with other people has always been, you know, aim and ready, aim, 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 fire, right? In other words, prepare yourself for whatever it is you want to do. But then by God, give it 150 percent, because if, you know, if you're going to fail, at least don't look back with regret that there's more you could have done. Right? So for me, like when I was sort of mapping out uh, FDR before I went full-time, I said, "Well, are there topics I'm not going to go to?" And I said, "Well, I-, I can't be honest. Like I either have to be honest about that and say, "I'm too scared of these topics. These topics are too controversial. We're going to stay in these nice safe areas."
4: Yeah, like one of the most powerful podcasts that I listened to of yours was when you said, you know, you were scared of doing this. You know, you broke down crying and everything. It was amazing.
0: Yeah, terrifying. But I, you know, I, I had to, I had to give it everything I had, which meant yeah. that I wasn't going to force topics on people. Of course, I can't. It's a podcast, right? not come and yell at you in your house. But, uh, <laughs> but I, I was not going to say no to topics that people wanted to talk about. You know, people want to talk about family. I'm going to talk about family. Certainly, there are philosophical aspects to family life, absolutely. And um, you know, it's it, it, people always you know you blame me. Sometimes people blame me for the topics. Oh, you focus too much on this. Well, you know, I'm sorry. It's like it's like saying to the but pizza guy, "This is guy, what
4: people want." Yeah.
0: Yeah, you focus too much on the pizza that people are ordering. It's like, but that's what I'm supposed to do because it's a customer-driven conversation. And there's some stuff that I get to talk about, which I love. And there's some stuff which you guys get to talk about, which I love too. I mean, mm-hmm. the Sunday show is my favorite part of, of this entire conversation. I mean, I do it every Sunday if every day was Sunday, if I could. But um, uh, so it is, you know, it, it, so go, you know, if you're going to do it, don't do it halfway. I mean, that's that's just a recipe for disaster. Uh, and that doesn't give respect enough to your dreams. Now, if I have, if, if my daughter says I want to be a mime artist, I'm trying to think of the hardest thing <laughs> that she would do that I would really have trouble with. A editing. statue. <laughs> yeah, okay, so you you want to be a bad robot. Okay, um, so, so, I mean, it would be tough for me. Now, if I had basically said, well, you know, it's not that great an idea, it's really, you know, mime isn't money, so to speak. It's, it's a tough field. And it's awfully hard to get into it, of,
4: it, you know?
0: <laughs> awfully hard. You know, That every job application. There's a thousand mimes out there pretending to write an application. Ooh, they'll mind Yeah, like that, whenever
4: I, I start to do something, I think of all the little things I have to do and then it adds up into one big thing and just I get paralyzed, you know?
0: Right, so if it turns out that you're a big success, right, if it turns out that you're a big success, then... It's really challenging for the naysayers around you. Oh, my God. I got to tell you, it's heartbreaking for them and for you on so many levels. How many people, when I was younger, were telling me that my interest in philosophy was going to lead nowhere? Yeah. It's a waste of time. can't change anything. What does it matter? It's all abstractions. Who cares? You're not Howard Roth, man. Who are you kidding no, just, they're just fiction books. Come on, don't be ridiculous. Oh, yeah, you can read about it if you want, but it's not going to move a, a grain of sand in a sandstorm. I mean, it's all life. You're just sitting there reading. Go live, go do. I mean, so many people were just... Uh...
4: Yeah, I think school was pretty supportive. Like, everybody liked the art and stuff, but I think society and my parents are more... Starving artists can't, you know, like they want to support me, but nah, not really. I don't know.
3: It's
0: it's like all the people who say, you know, you really shouldn't be an actor because acting is really tough. So let's go watch a movie. It's like you do realize you're going to watch actors, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And um, so, I mean, if your parents have, in a sense, been naysayers. And I, I know I'm not saying that they're saying, oh my God, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to hit you with a stick every time you try to go. Right, the I'm right. Just, but it's just like... That little but the, out the, more subtle stuff, there. the more subtle stuff can even be more toxic. Yes, I agree. Right? Because then it's not so much like I can't do it, which would give you a screw you rebellious aspect, which of you into comics you have to have, just mm-hmm. do- <laughs> this by definition, right? <laughs> so if somebody just said, you can't, right? Your first response is, I can, right? Of yeah. course I can, right? Ah, right? But if they say, well, I... Uh, uh, I well, maybe be you try a graphic this.
4: design.
0: Yeah, or something. You know, have a bit of a backup. I mean, focus on it for sure if you're really passionate about it. But there's no reason why it can't be a hobby uh, on the side. And you know, here's all the people I know who've tried it and failed. And you know, I gave it a shot and I was pretty good. And I had a tough time doing it. So I just, I just want you to be, to be careful. Uh, that, that's all I'm saying. Uh, then, then it's not so much like somebody's blowing your boat out of the water. It's just like they're slowly turning the ocean a little into on jello. It. Yeah, it's just like a little wave against it, a little wave against it, a little wave against it. And then it's not death by tiger; it's death by mosquitoes. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's interesting to me that when you got paid, you stopped. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. When, when paid, I heard that in the podcast
4: successful. you had with Elliot, like my jaw just dropped. You know? That concept right. of not being able to accept the love of other people, you know, money. You know.
0: Yeah. 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 No, I mean, I I wish I could do the show without ever asking for money. Send you donations. Right. To be, I mean, right? But I have, I mean, out of respect for the conversation, out of respect for the, I mean, what I think of is, okay, well, it's a little uncomfortable for me, as it is for everyone, to assume the dog at the foot of a bacon table position and, and to ask for a bag for money. But what I think of is, okay, so it's a little uncomfortable for me. But, you know, every week that this show continues, another thousand parents stop hitting their children.
4: Yeah, it's amazing. You know,
0: like, so So what if it's a little uncomfortable for me? How much more beneficial is it for uh, people to give up on uh, religious delusions or, or status delusions or more practically and more powerfully to just start reasoning with and stop hitting their children? I mean, that's a guess. I think it's a pretty good guess. It's probably much higher than that. But just based on the letters I get and the feedback I get, So it's like, okay, well, I can do this. I can do this little uncomfortable thing, but, man, look at the enormous benefit. I mean, because if I was a kid and, you know, somebody was out there and needed money to do a show and and to live and and to get equipment and to do a a documentary and all that, and, uh, you know, if that person kept doing it, my parents might stop hitting me and start reasoning with me. And and they said, well, the guy said, I can't do that because it's a little emotionally uncomfortable for me to do so. I'm like, dude, I'm getting hit. Who's more emotionally uncomfortable, you or me? And there's a thousand Right next door to me, yeah, we're also getting hit. So good And I want to
4: thank you. You've completely changed my view on having children. Like I, I totally did not want to have kids at all. And um, seeing, seeing the the experience of watching Isabella grow up from just you know birth to where she is now, I realized that it can be, you know, rewarding and engaging and, and not. I, I work at Walmart. I see parents, oh, fighting with their kids all the time, you know?
0: Oh, yeah. And it becomes a vicious circle, right? Because if you treat your kids badly, then you end up wanting to put them in daycare or school. Like, oh, just get them out of the house. Mm-hmm. Just, I just knew mommy needs to – Yeah,
4: and uh, it's, it's not – I don't see, like, physical erect, erect, punishment erect. or anything like that. Just arguing, just constant, like, antagonistic. No, I know, but, but that's
0: – Right. And and so what happens is you end up spending, wanting to spend less time with your kids because you're fighting all the time, which means that you end up fighting more because you're spending less time learning how to negotiate and the kids feel rejected, right? Oh, so you want me to go to daycare. Oh, so you want me to go to school. You'd rather me go to school than spend time with me. Yeah. So how, you know, how happy anyway, it's just a recipe for a mess. But uh, I mean, I tell you, I, you know, I get at least 10 to 20, I love you daddies and hugs a day. I mean, it's just magnificent. And, uh, She's great company. I mean, this is, there's so much to me about parenting that is completely surprising. Um, so much I'm very happy for, that. all the theories I was waffling about before I became a parent actually working beautifully. But um, the fact that a four-year-old can actually be a great company. I mean, I always yeah. thought it was going to be more sort of, you know, top-down and all that kind of stuff. But she's challenging, engaging, a fun conversationalist and, and really, really smart. Like we were <laughs> reading a book the other day, uh, uh, Peter Pan. And in it, uh, one of the, the kids get captured by the pirate, and they get um, handkerchiefs tied around their faces so that they won't talk. Right, white handkerchiefs tied around their faces. And she said, "Why, why, Daddy? Why is the pirate turning the children into doctors?" I'm like, "Damn, that's good." <laughs> the other day, we, I, I picked, I, I um, we went to the library, and the library is attached to a high school, and. Um, I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. This, this is tough for me, right? And I, I, I don't think I've mentioned this before. Anyway, so, and this, I think it's kind of related to where, to, uh, this is not complete tangent time. Like, so, as she, most of her friends are a little bit older, so so she likes to chat with the high school girls. And, of course, it's much better for me in my 40s to have a child when I'm hanging around high school girls. <laughs> much better to have a child there, you know? It's like going to the uh, play center. Anyway. So she wanted to to teach the high school girls her, her spring dance. because She's got a little dance she's worked out because she's really looking forward to, to spring. And so she's got a whole spring dance worked out. And so they basically said, show us your spring dance. We were all in the big foyer of the, the library slash high school. And she did her spring dance, which is a magnificent, confusing ball of joy. And, uh, and then she said... Um, to the high school girls, would you like to do it? And of course, they were a little shy, right? It's the age of cell phones. Lord knows who's (laughs) gonna film. And then she said, Daddy, why don't you show them the spring dance? Now, I'm not the shyest person in the world, but that's fairly close to embarrassment territory for me. But I couldn't say no. I couldn't. Because that's to say, well, it's cute for you, but it's embarrassing for me. That's not good. I can't can't give her that. I don't want to give her that idea that, that... that this sort of private thing we do for fun is somehow embarrassing to me in public. That is to shame or to denigrate the pleasure that we take in doing these kinds of dances and stuff like that. So, grit in my teeth, and up I did my big ass, twirly, big finish spring dance for the high school girls, of which there were about eight. And not the most comfortable moment I've ever had in my life, but I think a very necessary mm-hmm. passage of fire uh, to not view our private uh, enjoyments as somehow publicly embarrassing. And that overcoming of self-shaming for the sake of principle, for the sake of supporting who she is as a human being and our experience as parents, uh, as parent-child, parent is really, really important. Now, if you were successful as an artist, what would that mean to your father?
4: I would definitely be mixed, but um, since he gave up or, just, I mean, that would be really painful.
0: I mean, I I was, you know, I studied to be an actor did acting and playwriting and so on. If my daughter became, I thought about this. I mean, she's kind of showy. She's kind of out there. She's pretty extroverted in many ways. And if she became a big famous actor or something like that, part of me would be like, yeah, I tried that. And it would be really important for me to deal with that. Now, I mean, obviously, in hindsight, I'm very glad that I was not an actor. And I feel like... Yeah, I he channeled these... it. To... Yeah, I mean, this, it's more important for me to do what I'm doing. There's nothing more important that I could be doing with my life than this. This conversation with you right now is there's nothing more important. Uh, and, and so, so to, I, f- I feel, I mean, if, if I believed in a God, it feels like I would constantly be nudged this way and that and to develop the skills to just be able to do this. To break, I hope, the twenty-five hundred-year deadlock in philosophy and actually get this thing to to work in people's lives in a, a really powerful way. Um, you know, I mean, not that it's never been done before, but I think that we're trying. I'm obviously trying to make enough connections here to well, <clears throat> move I think the conversation quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hope that logjam has been detonated and we can actually get get this stuff going. But um, if she <clears throat> sorry, if she succeeds at something that I didn't succeed at. Again, I mean, it wasn't like I sort of went to LA and tried to be an actor for years. I, I decided not to do it, uh, looking at the odds, and I think that was the right right decision. Uh, and and the reason I could look at the odds, you know, they, they used to say in theater school, if you can't do anything else, do it. Like if you can do anything else and be happy, do it, because this is really hard. And there were other things that I could do and be really happy. And so, uh, I and uh, the acting world can be a bit nutty. In the art world, oh, you know that, mm, yeah.
4: Right.
0: A lot of people who uh, didn't socialize a lot as kids ended up being actors and artists and all that. Right? <laughs> Robert Louis Stevenson writes books because he had a bedridden disease for many years as a child and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, creativity is a bit of, you know, white, in white, light, scar tissue kind of thing. But uh, So if you were to succeed, what would that do to your father in two areas, right? So the first area would be his own lack of success, and the second area would be his... I don't want to say undermining because that's too strong, but his right. qualified support, let's say, his qualified support for what it is that you're doing. How would he feel
4: about those two things? Probably pretty rotten.
0: Now, does he have the skills to talk about that with you and to be honest about that with you and and to discuss his ambivalence? Because, I mean, you're an adult now, right? So you can talk about these things. Would he have that level of self-knowledge? I think you said earlier that your parents were not that much into deep conversations. Yeah. Um,
4: I mean, I can give it a try. I don't have high hopes,
0: but... We'll do almost anything we can to protect the happiness of our parents. Yeah. I mean, this is just a basic, a basic fact. It's biological. It's, you know, we will do almost anything to protect the happiness of our parents. Whether it's just or not. Whether it's right or wrong. Whether it's mature or immature. We will do almost anything. Yeah, and since it.
4: both he and I deal with depression, it's one of those... Is it a bomb to set off? You know.
0: Right, right. Okay, so if he's depressed because he was unable to follow his own dreams, then if you achieve yours, you feel that that might make him worse. Did you tell your father about selling or getting money for your own?
3: Um,
4: I'm pretty positive. I mean, that was... Gosh, that was almost four years ago.
0: So, um, I mean, he sounds. Oh, here comes the fog. (laughs) Here comes the fog. Good, good. We have come to the Mm. the core of fog. Okay, so how could you not remember this conversation? Come on. This is your dream, and you finally have achieved payment for your dream, which is an incredible rubicon. I mean, I remember the first donation I got for my show. I'm like, really, really? No way. I I was so frankly right?
4: It wasn't the first commission I'd gotten, but um, it was. But it was a significant one, right? Yeah, because he was, you know, giving me extra money and everything too. So.
0: Okay, so this is a huge deal, right, for you, right. for your career, and so so because that conversation, if it happened, right, then what resulted from that was that you shut down your accounts and stopped selling your art, right? Yeah. Well, that's not good. No, I know it isn't. So you'd remember
4: that,
0: right? Yeah. Gosh. So, did you tell your father, A, that you got extra paid for your work, and B, that that's when you start dying?
4: I feel like I would have told him about the extra pay, but I don't think I. I mean, I event. I just yeah. I don't think I told him until later that I was just. I, I called it an artist' block at the time, but that's just a uh, it's not exactly.
0: Do you remember what his response was to you getting bonus paid for your art?
4: I really don't. Oh. That's important.
0: Yeah. Do you think that deep down if you're if you're withholding the beauty you can make from the face of the world, if you're withholding that, we protect his depression. How do you think he would feel about that?
4: Uh, probably pretty awful. Tell me what you're feeling. Really sad. Really.
0: What? I mean, if you have to hide your light from your parents, you can't ever show it to the world, right? I think. It's just too much of a struggle and it's too much against our nature, which is to please our parents no matter what. I I still want to please my
1: mom.
0: Yeah. It's Mm -hmm. just that pleasing my mom is toxic for me.
4: Yeah. And I actually, I took a break from talking to them for about a year and a half, and I just started up a couple months ago. And it's, uh, I don't know that it's actually beneficial.
0: (laughs) Well, I think, I mean, what do I know, right? But, you know, I think that it's important to talk about these uh, issues with them. Right. I mean, the fact that your father doesn't know that you may have, may have, it's something to explore. It's a possibility that you may have shut up shop to protect his feelings is important. You know, look, I, I, I don't believe that your dad would say, good.
4: Oh, no, no.
0: That makes me happy. I am a vampire feasting on the, the joyous juice of your future ambitions. No. I mean, I think he would feel sad about that. But if it's unconscious, it's much more likely to happen. If it's something you talk about, then it can be dealt with in the open, right? right?
4: Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll definitely, I'll definitely do that the next time I talk to him.
0: Good. Yeah, because I mean, our patient, our parents' relationship to our dreams is really, really important, and often, often, unexamined. And, I mean, you can just read about the people who, who have succeeded. And, you know, they're, you know, the actors who succeeded and usually were the ones whose parents were driving around to auditions. And, you know, I met, a, a, I met a, a fine young lady at Libertopia who was a, a a model. And her parents were driving around to all these places and getting her photos and all that. They were, you know, because you, you can't do the difficult without the approval of the people who shaped you. I mean, I don't think. I don't think you can. Um, l- sorry, let me sort of I mean if, if if they're if they're in your lives and they're undermining what it is that you're doing, usually unconsciously, maybe even usually against their better conscious judgment, then right. it's really, really hard to get it done and sort make back off from that absolute, because I'm sure that people who have. All the people who do it despite that and don't deal with it can end up self-destroying on success, right?
4: Yeah, I've definitely felt like I've been self-sabotaging like crazy.
0: <laughs> right, and then if you have a self-sabotaging streak then the only thing worse than failure is success, right?
4: Yeah, it's terrifying.
0: <laughs> it is. And then you end up uh, with all of this uh, mess and muck. Uh, and, and please, I mean, I understand that it doesn't really have fun, – fundamentally and finally doesn't have anything to do with parental approval. I was just thinking of Michael Jackson, right, who had an incredibly, in, 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 quote, enthusiastic dad for his success and then ended up, I think, in a, a pretty wretched place in life and all that. So um, – uh, so, yeah, it's uh, – but it's really, really hard to achieve things. Like I can't I can't have people in my life who think that what I'm doing is unimportant. I don't think – I mean they don't have to think it's the most important thing like I do, but they can't think of it as my funny little hobby.
4: Yeah, your side. Yeah.
0: No, um, I can't do it. I can't do it because everyone's perspective we incorporate. Everyone's opinions we imbibe. We cannot help it. This is why I said to the first caller, he's using the word I incorrectly. Right, right. You you want to succeed. Your father may view your success as coming at personal cost. You may view, and and so that comes inside you and creates ambivalence. Ambivalence is what's good for us versus what's good for others. And to I think to truly be successful in life, you need to have everyone around you in alignment with your goals, and to be in alignment with other people's goals. But that skeptical, cynical, quote practical, cold-eyed third ogre bubble that pops out comes because we have people in our lives who are skeptical about our potential. And it's really, really hard. You know, it's like trying to win a race while somebody's screaming slow down in your ear. You're going to fall! Or it's like trying to do a math problem when people are yelling random numbers into your ear. Mm -hmm. Right? I mean, uh, to really achieve something in life, you need to have a support system and you need to be willing to be part of a support system for other people's goals. but I don't think it's possible to succeed uh, if there are people around you who consciously or not and it's even worse if it's unconscious are emotionally invested in your lack of success and the moment you make a prediction you're emotionally invested in that coming trip it's confirmation bias and nobody can avoid it I mean we can reason with it, we can talk our way out of it if we know about it but the moment you make a prediction you have confirmation bias and so if people predict anything other than success for you then they are going to be invested in whatever shortfall they're predicting. And unfortunately, if it's unconscious, they will find ways to make it come true, whether they know it or not. And I know this sounds kind of weird. Like, we have nothing but the sum of other people's opinions of us.
4: No, no. But no, there's, real, there's
0: real truth in that. I don't believe in this Randian. You know, like, the Randian heroes have no ecosystem. Like, they just have one voice. And they all come from no family. Uh, Howard Rock was abandoned at the age of 10. You never hear anything about his family. Same thing with John Gold.
4: Yeah, and I've heard you. You've done comic books before, and all the, you know, Bruce Wayne with his dead parents. Just about every major comic book
0: hero. Yeah, to to achieve greatness, he has to, like Superman, right? To achieve uh, superhero status, his parents have to be out of the picture.
4: Mm.
0: And... I mean, I don't, I don't think that's universally true because there are lots of people who achieve great things with very supportive parents. But where there is that challenge, it's really hard. Like, there are only two families that are explored in depth in Ayn Rand novels, not counting We the Living, which is much more autobiographical. But, I mean, there's the Reardon's, and there is the Keating's, right? And mm-hmm. I don't know if you've read the books, but, oh, yeah, I mean, maybe. those are both incredibly toxic families that destroy their, or at least, I mean, with Peter Keating, it destroys the mother destroys the son, and, and with Hank Reardon, they almost do. Um, and so it's interesting that the only heroes in Rand's novels are those who don't have any place to go at Christmas. <laughs> I mean, it's just something that is interesting and not something that I think she particularly examined. Um, but um, uh, that is something I think that's, that's important to recognize, that we are intensely inhabited by those around us. We cannot avoid that. I mean, we can't, I mean, the idea of creating this, you know, random superstructure of ivory tower where we're impervious to the opinions of those around us, I mean, that's pathological, that's narcissistic, that's not healthy.
4: Yeah, and I I almost became a hermit there for a while, and that's not, it just amplifies the voices in your head, you know?
0: (sighs) Right, right, right. So, yeah, I mean, so, I mean, our susceptibility, I mean, look, we're tribal animals, of course we're going to be susceptible. It's like asking dogs to be indifferent to each other. Cats, yes, dogs, not so much, right? I mean, we are social animals, and we are imprinted by those around us, and our social life is a buffet, and it's either going to be nutritious or poisonous, and we inherit the buffet. We can choose, as adults, the buffet, and I choose to have people in my life who are they certainly don't have to agree with me on everything. Good heavens! I mean, I certainly don't agree with me on everything over time, but um, they have to recognize that philosophy is important. They don't have to be philosophers, uh, but um, you know, I, I, I can't do, I couldn't do what I do if I were to be surrounded by uh, any significant number of people who uh, were indifferent or skeptical to what it is that I'm doing. Just as I want to encourage other people to pursue what it is that their dreams are. Yeah, so, I
4: think. The indifference part
0: is is. Uh... Yeah, indifference is worse. Yeah. Opposition is is you know I mean philosophy you know there are certainly yeah. yeah I mean I apparently I have some haters I don't know but but <laughs> philosophy uh, is a muscle it works in in resistance right and the, you know measuring the diminishment of immorality is one way you measure the success of philosophy the and the so you know a thousand yeah a thousand families giving up spanking is a measurable decrease in the immorality of the world. And so I think that's, uh, that's really important. And so, the, so if somebody is really hostile to what you're doing, that could be a wonderful guide, right? You can sail against the wind by tacking, but you can't sail when there's no wind at all, right? So the indifference, I think, is even worse.
4: Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Steph. That's <laughs> very helpful.
0: Well, I'm so glad. And I really do hope that you can... Achieve. I mean, good heavens! If you listen to this show and can be a comic book artist, I mean, mm-hmm. yay!
4: Oh, I, I want to take so many ideas from this show and, and incorporate incorporate into stories. I'd love to do
1: that. Right. So.
0: Right. Okay. Well, I hope you do. And uh, again, I would I would suggest, uh, as I usually do, uh, talk to therapists uh, and and prepare yeah, yourself for therapy. this uh, <laughs> conversation. Yeah. I mean, so this could be. I think this could be a wonderful opportunity with your father. Yeah. I mean if he if through the mistakes your father has made you he could use that to to further enhance your capacity to achieve your goals i mean wow talk about turning failure into success i mean that that is that would be transformational and i think that would be a good cure for depression which is that uh the, the hard lessons that i have endured that caused or triggered or exacerbated my failures i have now transformed into something which jetpacks my daughter over the hills to the green and pleasant valley of, of genuine success. I mean, that that's the best you can do with those kinds of failures. And I think that's really uh, important. And that could be transformational. Because, you know, if it's eating at him, if it's rooting at him, uh, and if it's just about him, and if it's also undermining, like he knows deep down, it, again, it's all a I theory, know. but he knows if it's true that he's undermining your success with indifference and hypercaution and whatever it is, right? He knows that deep down and that sure ain't going to make him happy. But if it can be dredged up, exposed, talked about and dealt with, and you can have an ally. Um, I think that's, that's going to be by far the best thing for any depression that he might be experiencing in my amateur opinion.
4: Oh, cool. Thank you so much.
0: <laughs> You're very welcome. And if there's anything that this show can do, I mean, you know, loyal listener and all that. I mean, if there's <laughs> anything that I can do, or this show can do with your art, um, you know, if you want to use it, to, you know, I'll have a look at it, put it on Facebook, and if there's any way in which this significant reach of this show can help you with your artistic endeavors, I mean, I'm mad keen to, to help or, or to try.
4: Well, I don't I mean, have if a you comic start,
0: it, <laughs> Yeah, okay, so if you, if, but if you want to start sharing that with people, um, then if there's anything I can do to to help get that out, I mean, just email as usual, operations at freedomainradio.com and we'll try and coordinate something to to get the word out, and I, you know, I encourage this to to lots of listeners. I mean, this is a pretty unique hub, and has a very sophisticated, intelligent, and insightful audience. And you know, g- use me, <laughs> use me as Bill was saying. You know, use me up. Uh, use this as a way to broadcast your your plans and your endeavors and your goals and your dreams. Um, I would really, really suggest that. And I mean, again, if there's anything. There's nothing like makes you want to help others more than achieving what you want to achieve. So, if there's anything I can do to help you or anyone else out there who wants to get their ideas and goals out there, uh, please let me know. All right, thank you. Thanks. Have and a good I one. I think we may in fact. Yeah, we may in fact have time for another caller. We shall see. Um, James, do we have
1: another one? Uh, yes, we have a couple of people. Um, we'll go with Mike.
0: Yo, Mike. Hey, how's it going? Well, thanks. And you?
2: I'm doing pretty good. I just wanted to call in and talk about, uh, I guess, a possible solution to all of our woes.
3: <laughs> well, I'm... Uh, <laughs> I could be presumptuous.
2: <laughs> um, Go for it. Yeah. The, I tried to look at... Uh, we're facing so many different problems. I, I can't focus on any of any one because we we're being slammed from so many sides. So I was trying to come up with a all encompassing concept that could maybe, uh, uh get everybody on board with thus making the state just basically go away. Kind of like, um, the NAPPB and whatnot rolled into, um, a device, uh, I, your, your competing co- currency idea that um, without the state there would be competing currencies got me along to a thought process that, well, then couldn't everybody compete with their own currency? And um, that got me thinking and uh, brought me to the point where, you know, th- there would be a problem if somebody printed more than another person or whatnot and uh it would devalue the the currencies on a whole but if we could have it regulated um agreed on by everybody that uses this type of device to generate the same amount over a period of time then we could just use that as currency to for transactions the value comes from work or from uh creating items or getting resources or whatnot but And and this money would, or this currency would flow to people that actually did those types of of, uh, things for society. So in that way, it would still keep a capitalist bend to it.
0: Okay, so are you saying that everybody would have some sort of electronic currency of their own?
2: Yeah, actually, a physical device that they they would be able to use, kind of like a, a credit stick or something that just basically generates the, devi- the 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 currency unit that could be broken apart however many ways you want to divide it. You know, um, depending on what you're purchasing, uh, how how rare that item is, uh, um, which would increase its value, how much time it took to produce, how many man hours went into it would. Give us the the value for it, and it
0: could and ah people, yes, no, but it wouldn't, right? Because because value is not something that can be calculated. I mean, if value could well, be calculated, central planning would be much more possible, right? So, but you can't possibly calculate the value of something objectively, right? Because value is something like. If you've just had a big drink of water and I say, I'll sell you a bottle of water, you'd be like, no, thanks, I'm not thirsty. you give me no money for it. But if you're in the desert and you're dying of thirst, you'll probably give me everything you own for that bottle of water. Uh, so there is no way, but whereas, you know, the bottle of water we assume took the same amount of time to produce no matter what, right? So some people love modern art. Some people hate it. So what's the objective value of modern art, right? So but I don't think that it. we can find a way to calculate value based upon uh, labor or time or resources or, or any of that.
2: You don't think that we can calculate value based off of labor or time or resources?
0: I No, no. I mean, look, you, you, you could spend an entire um, weekend moving everything in your basement half an inch to the left, right?
2: Oh, no, no, no. I'm not saying anybody would be calculating. This is to be the whole free hand of the market concept where um, the person that's selling the item would tell how much he was requesting. And then the person would come back with a counter offer you know?
0: Oh yeah. Okay. So like just a sort of personal marketplace of localized supply and demand. I think that would be fine. I'm sure that would be, uh, if that was a value to people, I'm sure that that would be created. Yeah.
2: Okay. Um, The other thing that I wanted to attach to this, uh, since this would essentially be in my mind, kind of replacing all other forms of currency thus disabling the state from collecting taxes uh, since everybody would be generating in this community, no matter how large it would be, um, would be generating the currency. They wouldn't be giving it to people. They would be giving it to things like DROs, which would help start up the DRO concept quicker, um, as well as um, in order to get it from what would have to be like a nonprofit startup um, we would only, I guess, issue it to people that agreed to the non-aggression principle. And if they broke it, they would just have their device taken away.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that's interesting. Um, it's, But, you know, the, 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 that's not going to stop the government from collecting taxes, right? Because remember, the, the government is, is, is a mere flow-through of the real benefit of, of taxes, right? The real benefit of taxes are the people on the receiving end of the government, right? Like, it always surprises me just how little money companies have to donate to get access to politicians, right? Ten, you know, tens of thousands of dollars uh, or whatever it is uh, individuals have to donate or supply value to get millions or hundreds of millions of dollars in benefits. Uh, you can get 200 times return on investment for paying in for stuff like that. And the government is a giant flow-through mechanism, right? So the government hoovers up all these taxes... And then takes some of it for itself, for its own pay and all that. But then most of it goes through to other people, right? Goes through to people uh, through the warfare welfare state, through the prison industrial complex, uh, through welfare, through public school teachers, through all all of that stuff. It's a giant flow-through mechanism. And so taxes are not something that the state primarily profits from. The state gains its power by supplying tax money to other people, by buying their allegiance, and so if taxes were to diminish, it would be slave-on-slave slave aggression that would be, I mean, that would be the case, right? So if uh, there were to be any significant reduction in taxes, all the people on the receiving end of those taxes would revolt. Correct. And is- so, so, so and, and they would be the ones who would put intense social pressure on everyone to stop paying their taxes. And most people would, right? So th- the, one of the problems is that the people who are on the receiving end of taxes have a massive incentive to lobby for to and to use a lot of social aggression to pay those taxes uh, and you know to, to threaten people with, like, I'm never going to talk to you again unless you stop paying your taxes because that means you don't care about the poor, you don't care about me, you don't care about education, you're a bad guy. And see, people are willing to sever relationships based on taxes all the time. In fact, taxes is the severing of relationships because they, they want your ass thrown in jail. Right, so 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 people are willing to sever relationships who are statists all the time. Every time you advocate a law, you are advocating the severing of one person's relationship with everyone. Because you have that person thrown in jail, they can't see anyone. And so that's the degree to which people who support the state are willing to go. They want your ass thrown in jail if you interrupt their income or you interrupt their whatever it is that they want to, to get achieved through the state. They want your ass thrown in jail. That's, I mean, when you think about it, that's fundamentally radical. That'd be like me putting out a podcast saying uh, you need to kidnap and imprison anyone who doesn't support anarchism or atheism. Like you need to kidnap them, you need to lock them up, and you need to put, you need to lock them up in a room with violent criminals and then not protect them. I mean, that would be unbelievably sadistic, culty, extreme, like you name it. That would be an astonishing thing to say for any private intro. So you If somebody doesn't agree with you about anarchism or atheism, then you, find, you lock them up in a cage with rapists and murderers for years. I mean, people would be like, are you insane? What an unbelievably horrible thing to say. But that's everyone who's a statist. That's what they're saying. And that's how far they're willing to go for their beliefs. And this is why I nag people about donations and commitment to philosophy. That's how far they're willing to go for their beliefs. I mean, if you're in the Mormon community, you start questioning stuff. I mean, they will ostracize your ass to Alpha Centauri, right? Uh, If you're in a Muslim country, um, some of the Muslim countries, you start even questioning things around faith, I mean, you can get killed. I mean, they'll put you to death. So crazy people, people with bad beliefs, irrational beliefs, aggressive beliefs, they will go to the wall to protect their beliefs to the point where they will have nobody in the community talk to you. They will have you thrown in jail. They will have you hunted down. They will have you killed. That's how far they're willing to go. And now I'm, of course, never suggesting anything that extreme. I'm just talking about a little bit more of some personal integrity. But until we can muster about one tenth of one percent of the commitment for our rational beliefs that crazy people have for their irrational beliefs. we're never going to make any headway uh so um I hope that uh, I hope that helps a little bit
2: Well, that does help a little bit um which is why I called into
0: your show instead of any other on the face of the earth right now <laughs> um i and I like your ideas I mean, I certainly like the idea that currency is innately a rejection of the non-aggression principle, using currency, right? Because somebody who's using currency is trading value for value, not value for violence, right? Correct. So, so currency can only be used by people. I mean, I think in a free society, if you violate the non-aggression principle, I think your currency could be deactivated. And I, I would be perfectly fine with that until such time as you made restitution or made up for what, whatever it is you did, assuming that you've know, been objectively found guilty and bloody beyond reasonable doubt or whatever. You know. So, yeah, I think currency is a, is, a, is a very fundamentally civilized thing. And, you know, why do people steal money from banks so that they can go and trade the money peacefully for other things? Because it's a lot easier to steal a bunch of money than it is to steal all the stuff that the money can buy. Absolutely. So there's one another contradiction. Sorry, go ahead.
2: No, no, no. I, I was just saying that you're absolutely right there. It's it's a lot easier to steal and and a small amount of currency and go and buy a, a whole bunch of stuff instead of the, the stuff from various locations. That's, I mean, and that's why we have taxes, right? I mean, you don't have to go to right, everybody's but, but individual house.
0: At this point, the government is not the driver of taxes. It's the people who are dependent on the government who are the drivers of taxes. Uh, that would be I mean the government certainly profits from it and encourages it and this that and the other, but um, that's why I say you know to focus on the government rather than the people around you as the drivers of government power uh, is um i think uh, fallacious and and
2: oh which and, is i mean go ahead which is why I came up with 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 the concept it was in order to make it so that the people wouldn't have to drive the taxes anymore. If you replace the currency for which we do pay taxes with and we were able to work with each other in that currency then
0: you're looking for a magic bullet and there's no magic bullet. I'm, I'm sorry to say this so blankly but it's really important. So let's say that you, you start using some alternate currency. I mean they'll just come take your house. Right. I mean, they'll just—I mean—they have all the guns. They'll just—they'll just come take your—I mean, just—they'll just come take your stuff. Uh, and and if they can't take your stuff, they'll put you in a cage or both, right? So the idea that there's some way in which we can stop paying taxes uh, is—I th- I mean, to me, it's—it's it's illusory. I mean, the vast majority of people accept and uh, you know maybe even approve of taxes, so that's not going to work. as they're indoctrinated and. The the media will spin anybody who doesn't pay taxes into some you know anti-social crazy whatever it is, right? Uh, and uh, you you know, and of course, if you have to pay taxes, the government isn't going to accept bitcoins, right? <laughs> They're going to accept the federal reserve notes or whatever the local fiat currency is. So that's why you have to get a hold of stuff, and and if you don't, they'll just you know take your life or take your stuff and all that kind of stuff. And and most people will view that as perfectly legitimate, I like, you know. You're not paying a legitimate debt, just like if you don't pay for your car, they can come take your car. So people feel if you don't pay for the government services, then the government can come take your house, and they're they're fine with that. So uh, I think that what you're talking about could be a a fine solution in the future, but I don't think it's a way that we're going to get rid of the state now. I think it's, to me, I think it's just a way of avoiding, I think, the stuff that really does need to be done to get rid of the state, which is um, to really focus on, you know, peaceful parenting and educate parents about how to negotiate with kids and hopefully convince them to spend more time with their kids and all that kind of stuff.
2: Well, thankfully, I have taken to heart those teachings already, and I am putting them in practice. So I figured I'd go the next step and try and find a solution to alleviate the problems for other individuals. I I don't know. I see that, I mean, even if we were to be able to get DROs up and and running and somehow uh, get it socially accepted to start them up, I feel that there's a lot of people that just wouldn't be able to afford them. Um, I mean, after, you know, a very long time, yeah, the costs would, would come down, but there would be a lot of people that would be, I mean, especially in a DR system, kind of like out on the edges of society. And I, I if there is any upheaval, I, I would rather it be uh, planned and strategized instead of um, chaos. <laughs> and I, I realize that, you know, it would be kind of, Uh, It's always, we're always, uh, I guess, hubristic. I mean, we have a lot of hubris, uh, and being able to come up with things like nuclear technology and believing that we're not going to be harming the planet and whatnot is just pretty ridiculous. And I guess that can fall in line with what I'm thinking as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, as far as people not being in the DRO system... Um, I, I certainly wouldn't want like if I lived in some town I wouldn't want half the population not being part of the economy that's a recipe for disaster so uh, I mean I would be I mean imagine the wealth that would be created in a free market I mean you'd get six, seven, eight, ten 10 percent like Panama I said double digit growth for years uh, post-war Italy had like double digit growth for decades until the socialists grabbed power as they did almost all over Europe and so I mean imagine the amount of wealth that would be around people would be able to afford that stuff no problem I mean, they'd be making five five or ten times what they're making now within a decade or two, so of course they could afford it. And for those rare few people who couldn't afford it or whatever, I mean, you know, would you say, okay, I'm going to take one-tenth of one percent of my DRO payment and check off a little box that says this is going to be made available to people who can't afford it. Yeah, of course. I mean, A, because it's a nice thing to do and we care about people, and B, because you don't want a contingent of people in society who aren't part of the sensible, rational, moral, economic system. Uh, because that's just a recipe for outlardom. So, no, those people are all going to be taken care of, uh, no problem, I'm sure of that.
2: Which is why I felt like so many people would be easily able to buy into this concept, because it would basically take care of that without having them needing to contribute of themselves to something like that. You know, like, their hard-earned labor going away, no, they would be able to keep everything uh, on their own, basically, bank
0: <laughs> right, right. Well, listen, I think it's an interesting idea. I certainly do appreciate you bringing it up. I am afraid that I am actually going to have to stop the show. I could literally talk all day, but I have uh, a couple of things on my plate. So um, thanks again to James, of course. Thanks again to the previous co hosts. And uh, I look forward, of course, to seeing people in my various travels uh, around this summer uh, Anarchy in New York City in April, I think 21st. Uh, I will be at Libertopia libertopia.org uh, on Labor Day for the weekend and I may in fact be running a workshop or two and uh, I'm going to be at Dana Martin's on Schooling conference rethinkingeverything.net uh, Capitalism Morality 2 doing a debate with Walter Block uh, in Vancouver this summer Freedom Fest with Liberty sorry <laughs> with laissez-faire books a bunch of other places so thank you thank you thank you everybody so much thank you of course as always to the callers I mean to open up your hearts uh, in this way to talk about your challenges in this way. I mean, I'm I'm deeply honored. I hope that I do justice uh, as best as I can to the questions and issues that you have. I certainly do try to listen as uh, as deeply as I can and give you as much knowledge as I can uh, in in response. I hope that it's helpful and uh, I really really appreciate this is what makes the show to me so special and that we're really trying to find a way to massage these principles into our increasingly oily skin. I don't know. That one got away from me, but Thank you, anyway, nonetheless, to everyone. Have yourselves a wonderful, wonderful week. I will talk to you soon. Oh, fdrurl.com forward slash donate. Take care, everyone. Bye.